not fulfilling your God-given role and his purposes, you realize it and you're like, this isn't quite what it's supposed to be. You have that nagging feeling, what I like to call a holy dissatisfaction with your life. Now, for many of us, the big problem is, is our culture says, do whatever you want. It's your life. You can have it your way. And guess what? That's the biggest lie you ever heard. Do you know if you're living the fullness of everything that God has called you to? Are you forgetting to walk out your call to be a light in the darkness? As you listen to today's message, do a little soul searching. See if you're living in what Pastor Daniel calls holy dissatisfaction. And then bring your holy dissatisfaction to the foot of the cross. Surrender your desire to do things your own way. Once again, follow the path of Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 13 as he continues his message, More to Do. Don't get discouraged or worried if God is calling somebody to do something that you're not all that interested in. Because they're supposed to do that. Where one body but many members... The Apostle Paul really works that analogy in his letters because he reminds you that if everybody thinks, oh, it's just about being eyes, you know, where's the hearing going to be? The eyes are responsible to see. The ears are responsible to hear. As long as the eyes and the ears work, you can see and hear. And all of us have an integral part to play in the body of Christ, the family of God, with Jesus as our head. That's why we say here at Crossroads that because Jesus is real, we're a family of faith fully engaged. What that means is that we're a family, but all of us have a part to play in the family. Just like in your family and in my family, everyone has a role to play. I was just talking to my grandfather and my grandma. I always call them on the way into church. My grandfather just celebrated his 94th birthday. Yeah, him and my grandma have been married for 71 years. Their anniversary is on. I mean, you can give them a round of applause. You know, I'm stoked for that testimony. I'm like, Grandpa, how you doing? He's like, I'm doing great. I'm giving everyone a hard time. That's my job. You know? And it's funny because when your 94-year-old grandpa gives you a hard time, you just say, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we're not asking Grandpa to go on out and rake the leaves and mow the lawn and build a house because he's 94. But there's all sorts of other things that he's supposed to be doing. And in the same way, my little Annabelle, who's four years old, we expect her to be terrorizing everybody. We don't expect you to be doing other things yet, but everybody has a role to play. The question you have to ask yourself, are you fighting the battles that God has in front of you that you're supposed to be doing for God's purposes in this generation and for God's glory and his kingdom to touch down? And if you could answer that and say, you know, I'm really not, then you got to get going. Because you realize that until you step into that, you are not going to be living the life that God has for you. Like, and you know that deep in the pit of who you are, when you are not fulfilling your God-given role and his purposes, you realize it and you're like, this isn't quite what it's supposed to be. You have that nagging feeling. 
what I like to call a holy dissatisfaction with your life. Now, for many of us, the big problem is, is our culture says, do whatever you want. It's your life. You can have it your way. And guess what? That's the biggest lie you ever heard. Because it's not your life. The Bible says you were bought at a price. And you are not your own. So the first lie is that your life is yours. No, it's Christ. In him you live and move and have your being. There's nothing that's yours. Your life's a gift from God. Right? And then when you realize that I'm not my own, then you start to say, well, how shall I live? What do you have for me? And then God begins to reveal to you through his word. And as you walk with him, this is what you're called to. And when you're living in that, you realize that God's peace and his presence is strong because you are fulfilling the destiny that he has for you. But if you're a born again child of God, because you put your faith and trust in Jesus, when you're not fulfilling that, the spirit of God loves you too much just to leave you alone. He convicts you. He prompts your heart and he says, hey, listen, the way you live, that's how you've always lived. But I have something new for you. And we always remind us here at Crossroads that we like to say that conviction is good, but repentance is better. Conviction is when the spirit of God challenges your status quo. And that's a good thing because if you're God's kid, he's going to challenge you a little bit because he loves you. But conviction is not enough because repentance is when we respond to that conviction and we change our ways. And God doesn't make you change your way. He encourages you and then you choose it. So we have a responsibility in that. And so I want to make sure that all of us realize that we have a part to play. And just like your body, if a part of your body isn't doing its job well, the whole body suffers. Can I get an amen? It's like the crunk is going around the Northwest. Some of you got it and gave it to all of us. Right? But when all of a sudden, when you're running a fever, is everything else great? No, it's not great. Because something's wrong and the body starts to suffer. And when you realize that it's just not your life, you're part of the family of God if you're born again. And God, when you are not fulfilling your role, it's like a part of your body taking the day off. And the body suffers. Now, I realize that for some of you, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And there's two things I want to tell you. First, Grace is available for you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how many good days or bad days, and if you were to average your days out, no matter what that average is, God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to die on a cross for all the mistakes you've ever made. Now, I know somebody's like, that's not possible. I made too many mistakes. I'm here to tell you with men, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. If God could forgive me, he can forgive you. Doesn't matter where you've been. God's grace is more sufficient than your weakness. So grace is available for you, but you have to respond. And I believe that long before you got here today, you've been invited by the Lord. He's been inviting you for a long time and through all sorts of different situations saying, come on, I want to do a fresh work in your life. And I'm here to tell you, when you say yes to Jesus, he does more exceedingly abundantly than you could ever ask. He will blow your mind by what you find yourself involved in. But before you can be useful in this world, you need to take your rightful place in God's family. I remember when I first came to know Christ, I had a family member said to me, well, Daniel, you don't want to be so heavenly minded that you know earthly good. I didn't know what that meant. I had to think about that for a while. I'm like, what does they mean by that? You know, they were like, listen, no, don't have your head so in the clouds that you're not good for anybody around here. And then what I realized, 
And it took me a little while to get it. I came back later. I'm like, you know, actually, I think that the only way you can be any earthly good is if you're heavenly minded. Because God's plan is for heaven to touch down earth. So if you're not heavenly minded, you aren't any earthly good anyway, even though you might think you are. Heavenly mindedness makes you of earthly value because God wants his perfect world to touch down through your life. So we all need to be involved. Now, what's beautiful about these verses, we get all these different cities. And I would really encourage you, if you're really fascinated in this, to to look at this on a map. Just put in, you know, Joshua 13 map and you can see it. But it's just, a map is a map, you know? It's like it shows lakes and boundaries and everything. But really what we're saying is that in within the prom, the divinely promised land, not every area has been conquered. So there's still work to be done. And by the time this little section I read ends, we find in verse 7, it says, Now therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half tribe of Manasseh. Now, This land that we were just reading about is land on the west side of the Jordan River. And if you recall, two and a half tribes wanted land on the east side of the river. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. So we have the Jordan River is the dividing line between the west and the east. And for these lands still to be conquered, they're going to nine and a half tribes because two and a half tribes want to be on the other side of the river. Now to see that, look what it says in verse 8. It says, with the other half tribe... The Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses had given them. And beyond the Jordan, eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them. From Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plains of Medeba, as far as Dibon, all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon, Gilead, and the border of the Geshurites, and the Maacanites. Sorry, I just wanted to do that for fun. <laughs> Talking about my generation, for those of you who know the who. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Those of you who know, those of you who are advanced in years, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, (laughs) moving on, the middle of verse 11, all Mount Hermon and all Bastion as far as Salca, all the kingdom of Og and Bastion who reigned in Asheroth and Andrei, who remained of the remnant of the giants for Moses had defeated and cast out these. Nevertheless, verse 13, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machanites, but the Geshurites and the Machanites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Only to the tribe of Levi he had given no inheritance. The sacrifice of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. Now, a couple things. So now we see the two and a half tribes. Now you notice there's a lot of work that's done to make sure that they realize that What Moses had promised to the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, now Joshua is honoring. So really what we're seeing is Joshua is absolutely recognizing and confirming and standing on the shoulders of what had come before him. That Moses said, this is what's going to happen. As long as the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh went with the army to finish the battles on the west side of the Jordan, they get this land. 
And so now we see the fulfillment of the land. Now, again, there's lots of names and places here. Now, as it relates to the pronunciation of these names, what I want to tell you is that every time you hear someone pronounce it, they're definitely butchering it, and that's me included. If literally in the Hebrew language, the syllable or the accent is always on the last part of the word. So in our romance languages, the syllable is always, or the accent is on the first part of the word, right? So really every word that's a Hebrew transliteration should be syllabified with the accent at the end of the word, which almost never happens. And then depending on where you're from, like if we were living in the South, then we would pronounce these things one way. And if we're living in the Pacific Northwest, so you guys would pronounce it one way, but I'm a transplant from the East Coast, so I'm all screwed up, you know? And so really, I just have fun syllabifying the names. So I just wanted you to say that because every once in a while, someone, you know, you heard your pastor at some point, or maybe you're, you're trying to syllabify these names like I would do it, and you're saying, well, it's not that, it's this. And I always laugh when someone does I'm like, well, no, we're all hacks. We don't know how to say this stuff. So really, you know, I just bring that out for fun. And if you want to just have fun, you can, if you're bored and you want to play with your Bible, you can just come up with all the different ways to syllabify all these names. Does that sound good? You guys aren't impressed by this idea. I'm just trying to be a good Bible teacher. I, I want you guys to have the tools to know. Cause, but literally, you can syllabify these words any way you want to, and you're probably going to get it wrong. And I think that's just a beautiful part of it. But these are all different places. We're reminded that on that east side of the Jordan, obviously, the defeat of Og and Bashan and Sihon, all of these we studied in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. We saw their defeats there. Now, by the time you get to verse 14, we are reminded, and we're going to get this also bookended at the end of this chapter in verse 33, that the Levites got no land inheritance. Why? Because God was their inheritance. Now, you could imagine for the tribe of Levi, they're like, dude, I want me some land. Like, it would actually be better for me if I had land. I don't want God as my inheritance. But you think about how short-sighted that is when you realize that if value is created by scarcity, God is the most valuable thing in the world, most valuable person in the world. You realize that. You might want to write that down. You can think about it. Value is derived by scarcity. So let me give you an example. Copper is not as valuable as silver, which is not as valuable as gold, which is not as valuable as palladium. Why? Pure supply and demand. Pure quantity. How much is so much copper, so much less gold, so much less palladium? See, diamonds are expensive because they're scarce, but enormously large diamonds are enormously expensive because they're very hard to find, really large, and to be cut properly, something like the Hope Diamond. I remember when I was a kid, I used to collect baseball cards. And a 1952 Mickey Mantle is one of the most expensive baseball cards because they're almost very hard to find, especially in good condition. I remember reading it, and this was back in the early 80s, and it was like, that card's worth $35,000. I'm like, what? It's like a piece of cardboard with a picture of Mickey Mantle on it. But they're rare. So value is created by scarcity. And there is only one creator and sustainer God. And there is only one son of God who died on the cross. Jesus. That's why when you ever doubt your value to God, he gave his only begotten son for you. He gave him who was the most valuable to him for you and for me. That's why grace is staggering if you think about it. What lengths God has gone to to redeem 
us. That he would give his only begotten son for us. That changes the way we view ourselves. And the Levites got a very unique reality. They didn't get a whole landmass. They did get 48 towns scattered all throughout Israel, but not their own place because God was their place. And what I want to remind you is even though we live in a material world and many of us are material girls, (laughs) let the music fan understand, you know, it's like God is truly our inheritance. And if you have an inheritance in Christ, you are rich beyond measure. And if you don't have Christ, no matter how much you have, you're impoverished. You just don't realize it. You can buy all the toys. You can make your life full of toys and you are impoverished because you do not have an inheritance of God, but he is willing and he has given himself for you and to you. So the Levites have a unique position here. Now, we move into verse 15, and we get the land for Reuben. Look at what it says. And Moses had given the tribe of the children of Reuben, verse 15, an inheritance according to their families. Their territory was from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city, which is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain by Medeba, Heshbon, and all its cities that are on the plain, Dibon, Bamoth Baal, Beth Baal Meon, Anybody want to syllabify that one for me? Jahaza, Kedemoth, Methpa'atha, Kirjatharim, Sibmah. I'm just going to skip all that, okay? You can fill it in. For those of you who think I'm not being a good pastor by not reading it to you, read it to yourself. Every once in a while, I'll do that. I'll skip over. Someone's like, you should read it to us because it's God's word and it will bless us. I'm like, well, you can read it yourself, you lazy bum. Anyway, now I feel bad. I'm going to read it to you guys. I just preached myself into a hole. Kirjathaim, verse 19, Sibma, Zareth Shahar on the mountains of the valley, Beth Peor, the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth Jesimoth, all the cities of the plain and all the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites who reigned in Heshbon, who Moses had struck with the princes of Midian, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba. That sounds like a 50s band. Zer, Hur, and Reba who were princes of Sihon dwelling in the country. The children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer among those who were killed by them. And the border of the children of Reuben was the bank of the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben according to their families and the cities and their villages. And so really what we find is that Reuben here on the east side of the Jordan, he gets the territory previously occupied by what we would call Moab. And so there's a lot of places here when you're reading through, you remember some of these stories, whether it's Sihon being defeated, again, Numbers 25. You also have, of course, uh, Balaam pops up in here. If you remember the story of Balaam, here he's called the soothsayer in Numbers 22 to 24. He's called a prophet. And the Moabite king invited, the Midianite king invited him in to curse the children of Israel, but he wouldn't do it. Ultimately, what you find is that although God wouldn't let Balaam curse the children of Israel, Balaam did advise the king to seduce the men of Israel with the women of Moab so that they would commit sexual immorality and idolatry. And ultimately, that did work. And a lot of people died, as well as Balaam losing his life as well. So you have all these things. And this is the land that Reuben gets. Now in verse 
24, it says Moses had given an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad, according to their families. Their territory was Jazer and all the cities of Gilead and half of the land of the Ammonites, as far as Eror, which is before Rabath, and from Heshbon to Ramath, Mizpah, and Betunim, and from uh, Mahanim to the border of Debir, and in the valley of Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Sukoth, and Zaphon, and the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, with the Jordan and its border as far as the edge of the sea of Chinneroth, on the other side of the Jordan eastward. This is the inheritance of the children of Gad, according to their families, and the cities of their villages. So the tribe of Gad gets the center of that region. So again, we're talking here about we're on the east side of the Jordan River. Now, when he gets to the Sea of Chinneroth, by the time you get to the New Testament, the Sea of Chinneroth is also known as the Sea of Galilee. So you realize in the Bible, you get a lot of these names, the names change over time. And so they are, if you think of Jesus did the bulk of his ministry in the north, he was raised in the Galilee region, which was the, the valley around the Sea of Galilee. Right, And so they're on the east side of the Jordan, off of the Sea of Galilee. So if you look at your New Testament maps, you find the Sea of Galilee, you move to the east, and this is the land that the tribe of Gad received. So again, we're seeing specifically where this land was given to these two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan. Now it says in verse 29, Moses also had given an inheritance to half the tribe of Manasseh. It was for half the tribe of the children of Manasseh, according to their families. Their territory was from Mahanim, all Bashan and the kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan, 60 cities, half of Gilead and Ashtaroth and Andrei, cities of the kingdom of Og of Bashan, were for the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, for half of the children of Machir, according to their families. These are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab, on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he had said to them. So now we have half the tribe of Manasseh's land. And specifically, we learn that this is distributed to one of Manasseh's son, Machir. So of the children of Manasseh, half of the tribe found their resting place here on the east side of the Jordan River. And so what's beautiful here is that you find that not only do they get land, but they get specific land. Again, I don't want to belabor the point, but I kind of do because it's so important, is that each one of us has been given specific gifts for specific work. Jesus is Today, we learned that every one of us has a part to play in the body of Christ. You've been given an assignment, a battle to fight. Are you fighting the battles that God has in front of you? If not, what is keeping you back today? In today's message, Pastor Daniel showed you that your life doesn't belong to you. The world may tell you that your life is yours to do what makes you happy, but as a follower of Christ, you follow a different standard. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you 
you're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next step with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will remind you that obedience to God is everything. We need to learn how to be simply obedient to the Lord. Every calamity in the world and in your life is rooted in disobedience on somebody's part. But blessing is found on the other side of obedience. When you walk in obedience, you will experience what it truly means to be a child of God. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time. As Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Homestead. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.